You're listening to the Living Truth Church Podcast, and we're so glad that you're here. If you would like to know more about our church, you can find us at livingtruthchurch.com, on Facebook at Living Truth Church, or on Instagram at LTC underscore Pace. We pray that God uses this teaching to impact your life. Um, maybe I should say surprise. Um, I knew about this morning a little bit before you did. Um, as a matter of fact, yesterday afternoon around 4 o'clock, I had taken the advice of my friend Dan over here um, to go catch some crabs down by Jim's fish camp, mind my own business, enjoy my time away by myself. And uh, if you know me and you've called my phone, I don't answer very often. Uh, I try to keep my phone as far from me as I can, and um, yesterday was no different. So I get up back to my truck, and I see a message, and I missed a call from Pastor Norm. We talk pretty often, but not usually on Saturday afternoon, so I wonder what's up. And then I clicked my messages, and his message was, you're preaching tomorrow. (laughs) My response was, call me now. (laughs) So Pastor Norm is not here this morning. Um, He is not well this morning, and so um, I'll just say I agree to do so this morning. So as I begin, um, I'm going to begin by saying this, that I've been living truth for a little over a year now, and I've never heard Pastor Norm preach a sermon on politics. In my years of ministry, I've never preached a sermon on politics, but that's going to change today. And some of you are already thinking, amen, and others are thinking, oh me, right? And so that's why I think we should pray as we look at the Word of God and then we're going to jump in. So let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we, we give this time to you. I just pray, Father, you would speak, that your voice would be heard, and that we'd apply your word to our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I think that we, see, we seem to think that we have advanced so much. And, and we think we've done that in, in every way, but... As we look at Scripture, we look at the times of Jesus, um, they had lots of um, political activism in their time as well. There were a lot of social, social issues in their time as well. And so as I think through the, like, of, of our society today and our reality, I think about at the moment, I think about our kids returning to school, what they're going to face when they get to school. I think about the teachers involved with teaching our children, their administrators, counselors, nurses, bus drivers, all the people that play a role that serve our children. And I can, and I, in some ways, it scares me to death, to be honest with you. Because I remember back 20 years ago when working in a public school, anything immoral, unethical, and ungodly you could find in pretty much every public school. One of the most pagan places in the community. And so I think for us um, that have children that are going to to schools, if you're a teacher, administrator, or you're involved in the school system, um, It's a challenge. But not only for you, but for us that, that maybe go out in the workforce and we work in places where 
the name of Jesus isn't proclaimed. He's mocked, ridiculed. We're required to be silent with what we believe. You see, I think this message is for us because I don't know about you, but I don't typically watch the news anymore. I've kind of gotten away from watching the news and be good or bad, I'm a happier person because of it. But I think about all the things that are before us this very day that are um, hot topics in the community. One ex- I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you some examples of some things that I've written down <clears throat> that may cause your blood pressure to go up a little bit. You might become a little agitated, or you might even begin whispering to the person beside you about your opinions about that topic. And my point isn't to offend you or, get, or to get you riled up. The point is to show you that there are a lot of things we're dealing with that aren't, they're not of God. And yet they're in our faces every single waking breath of our day if you're outside the walls of your home or your church. So those, those things that might come out might be things like, the word might be vaccines, monkeypox, lockdowns, Russia, Ukraine, Democrats, Republicans, liberals, libertarians, pipelines, the Green New Deal, maybe the World Economic Forum, socialism, sex trafficking, abortion, same-sex marriage, transgenderism. And now the big thing we're talking about is pronouns for crying out loud, right? What we argued about conjunctions before it's over, right? So just give us time. We ruin everything. We ruin everything that God has created. And a lot of those things that are ruined, they get passed into legislation by people that have authority over us. But as we, as we think about all those words, that is what our world is talking about. That's the reality of that, that we live. And I can tell you in, in preparation for this morning, I didn't have enough time to prepare what I'm going to be sharing about this morning because I spent time doing an all-nighter. I didn't do that. I can't do that anymore. Right? You might feel pain. You know what I'm talking about, right? I don't do all-nighters anymore. Right? But I can tell you this. Over the last several months, I have poured over this book. And I have spent a lot of time in my quiet time looking at the red letters of Scripture, the words of Jesus. What about you? Are you pouring over the word on a daily basis? And I feel like what happens for us is even in the words of Jesus that are so um, important to the daily life of every believer that we read them like they're a story in Sunday school. That's a nice story. Wow, Jesus is so cool. Look what he did. Hmm. Look what he said. Wow. And that's how we treat it. But we, what we should be doing, we look at the word of God, is when Jesus speaks, we should not just take it always at face value. We should take it at face value, but we should go deeper because he's trying to say more than what you see in the word. There's more for us to gain from by reading his word. And so in this passage, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. 
Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to look at a story that we all know, but we're going to dive a little deeper this morning. Matthew 22, 15 through 22 is a very interesting passage because Jesus gets, gets asked a political question. And this is what it says, starting in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinions. You are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Who put me, who, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is, is this? And they said, It's Caesar's. And then he said to him, Therefore, render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. So as I begin this passage, and talking through this passage, I want us to understand something very clearly from the very beginning of verse 15. The Pharisees and the Herodians weren't friends. And the people in this crowd that had gathered around Jesus, they didn't have the narrative that we have in front of us. They're seeing it all unfold as it's happening. Right? So they see the Herodians and the Pharisees together. They're thinking there's something wrong. They weren't buddies. They weren't friends. They didn't hang out. So from this very beginning of this passage, the people present probably if they had any brains at all figured there's something wasn't right in this scenario. Well, Jesus knew, right? He knew that he knows everything. But what I want us to see is who these characters are that are in this passage, but also I'm gonna throw in a few other characters that you'll see that lived during the time of Jesus that were a real problem in their community. And as we go through these characters, what I want you to do and what I'm doing myself is I'm reflecting on, does my life reflect any of those characters? So let's first, let's hit the Pharisees. And when every time we say Pharisees, we just like thumbs down, right? The Pharisees, they have an awful rep, right? <clears throat> Look at uh, Matthew 23. It's called the seven woes. And Jesus is talking right to the Pharisees and he just punches them right where it hurts, right? It's, just, it's bad. It's a bad one. He lets them have it and he doesn't apologize for it, right? The Pharisees were leaders in the Jew, among, among the Jews. They were powerful people. Right, And if we look through their description in Scripture, we say they're hypocrites. These, these men were um, legalistic. They were rigid. And they were really prideful. And a mistake that they made in their, in their religious beliefs was this, is that they valued their opinions and their traditions as much as they valued the written Word of God. The Pharisees were described as men that put heavy burdens on people but didn't help them carry them. 
They did all their deeds so people could see them, which is a matter of pride and attention. And they would tithe like they're supposed to, but they ignored things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You see, in the life of the Pharisees, they loved the law more than they loved people. What about you? Are you so driven by the rules and the laws that you forget to love people? And people aren't interested in following Jesus Christ because you're such a rigid, harsh, unloving person. But you know, I recognize too that there's also hope for the Pharisee. My examples are two. There, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And you remember his story. And I think in John 3, he approached Jesus wanting to know about this new life. And in John 7, Nicodemus defended Jesus. And then in John 19, he buries Jesus. He's there at the crucifixion. But there's also the apostle Paul. Right? The Jews of all Jews. So there is hope for the Pharisee. And I know that as we look at Scripture, we don't often see anything good in the life of a Pharisee other than Nicodemus and Paul. But even in this passage, I see something good out of the Pharisees. In that first verse, verse 15, it tells us that they, the Pharisees, they sent their disciples to, in, in, to engage Jesus in a conversation. Well, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we should be busy sending our disciples. When you disciple someone, you should be releasing and sending them out to do the same thing. That's a good thing. The Pharisees were multiplying. That's a good thing for us. They, were, they, had, some, they had some good practices, but, but bad intentions. So the Pharisees are a people that are prideful, rigid, and legalistic. Then you have the Herodians, completely different group of people. They were like um, groupies for Herod. They loved everything Herod. Right, you know, you know the groupies of bands and, and ball teams, every, everything they listen to is that band, posters on the wall. You know what groupies are, right? You've been there. You've probably been one, right? Don't, don't raise your mind and admit it. Just, you've probably been one, right? Where everything you talk about is that group. You go to all their concerts. You buy them in the bill. You do it all. These were Herodians. That's what they did. They worshiped Herod. Their allegiance was to Herod alone, So here's something to think about. Who's your allegiance to? Because if people know you more by your allegiance to a political figure than they know your allegiance to Jesus, your king, you're a Herodian. So how do people know you? Is King Jesus... You're a king, or is there a political figure that you treat like your king? 
when people know us more for our political stance, they know about our relationship with Jesus Christ, there's something wrong. So in this passage, we see the Pharisees that were religious, but they did it all wrong. We see the Herodians that put their allegiance to uh, a secular king, but there are also some other players that were probably, uh, I would say, probably present in a lot of the crowd gatherings that Jesus, when Jesus was teaching. Let me give you a couple of examples. The Sadducees were always hanging around too. They're in a lot of the stories we see in the stories of Jesus. The Sadducees were also a religious group. Now, they didn't get along with the Pharisees, right? They had differing views, differing beliefs. The Sadducees, though, were more of the high-class, top-dollar guys. And when you read about some of the um, commentaries about Sadducees, this is a sad thing to say, but Sadducees were known to be, to, were more known for their deceitful business practices than they were the religious practices. Interesting, right? But think about us that own businesses. Are we known in the community as people that will gouge people for an extra buck? Take advantage of people in need? All the while quoting scripture, raising our hands in worship on Sunday morning. If that's the case, you might be a Sadducee this morning. Another, another group of people, um, what we call them the Essenes. Jesus confronts them in this passage too because they're probably in the audience, but the Essenes are people that if they were a poster child, they'd be a, the poster child of complacency. They were checked out. As a matter of fact, they were so checked out, they left community and went and lived in the desert so they could isolate themselves from the rest of the world. My question is, how in the world can Essenes make disciples if they've cut the world off? But see, they were happy in their little bubble. They, they got their fire insurance, so to speak, like we do. We get our fire insurance. We pray a prayer. We get our fire insurance. We go to church on Sunday. We're a good person. But we are checked out when it comes to the kingdom of God. And then finally, another group that was always present, they're like chameleons. They were the zealots. They looked like everybody else. But the zealots were fierce and violent. They would kill Romans, but they would also kill their own people if they felt like their own people were getting too close to the Romans. The zealots attacked everyone. We can, be, we can be zealous if we're attacking the world for what they believe and then gossiping and, and backbiting and being uh, disrespectful to people that meet us, we call the church. See, in this passage, Jesus is talking to a large crowd. There's a gathering, always a gathering around Jesus and these people are always around. Kind of like church on a Sunday morning. 
the church worldwide. And I think for us, the Essenes, when I go back to what I'm thinking through is my train of thought is, is I think about the Essenes and I think about the poster child of complacency. I got to tell you, I think over the last 30 years, the world is like it is because the church has gone complacent. We've stood quietly or sat quietly in our, in our pews and our chairs on Sunday mornings and we've not stand, stood up for truth out there. Amen or oh me? We've been silenced. There's a few reasons we might have been silenced. One is for fear. But Peter says, I think in 2 Peter says, fear God, honor the king. We should fear God, not man. So we don't act because of fear. But I think the bigger reason is that we're more like the world than we're like Jesus. Therefore, we have no voice. And so you see, as we look through all these political groups um, fighting for position, fighting for control, fighting for their rights, then we have this passage that Jesus has introduced to political conversation about Caesar and about money. And so I think about this and I think about what else can I take from this passage other than what I see its face value? Well, I want to bring some things to your attention this morning from the passage. <clears throat> um, and I, this is what I would t- say to you is that um, when Jesus has this encounter, he, he asked them very clearly for a coin and they brought him a denarius. Right? It's right there in the passage. It's very clear. And he, they give him a coin. A denarius is about a day's wage for a common worker. Um, and they have to pay it once a year. And they know what a denarius is. And then Jesus asked the question, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? And they replied, Caesar's. And then Jesus said this, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? So my question for you, as the body of Christ, the church, <clears throat> are you given to Caesar what belongs to Caesar? That would easily be mean, are you paying taxes? You don't have to like it, but you are required to honor your king. You are, we are required to honor the governments that, that is before us. Even if we don't like it, even if we didn't vote for it, it doesn't matter. We have to honor our leaders. We pay taxes, and we do so fairly and honestly. But here's the problem. In this passage, Jesus tells these men, yes, pay your taxes. But here's what we've done since that day is this, is we've given Caesar control of everything else in our lives. Jesus didn't say give Caesar control of every aspect of our life. He said, give him your taxes. You know why? Because our allegiance isn't to a president. Our allegiance is to King Jesus. Our president shouldn't be able to close our churches at his calling. The church belongs to Jesus. It's not for a president to close. The president shouldn't be allowed to tell us what we do in our homes. 
when it comes to honoring King Jesus. A government shouldn't be able to tell me when I can pray and when I can't. A government can't tell me when I can carry my Bible and when I can't carry my Bible. But what we've done as a church, we've given the government control of the church. The only thing different that's happening here and in China is the government churches in China, the government gives the pastor his sermons every week. You talk about Christianity light and government strong, but we have, as the church, we've given too much. We've allowed too much. Jesus is our king. We honor him. And as I say that, that means for me that I don't honor Jesus just by paying my taxes, honoring, doing the right thing. But I realize too that Jesus doesn't want 60% of my life. He doesn't want my leftovers. He wants it all. But so many people that claim the name of Christian haven't surrendered all to him. We keep that little piece, you know, for us. That this, this is mine. This is my little addiction. This is my little hang up. This is my little uh, rainy day fun. This is my, this is my, this is mine. We pick those things that we want to keep for us rather than surrendering them to our king. Many of us are satisfied, if we were, if we were talking about school, we'd be satisfied to get into heaven with the average score of a D. Because we passed, we slid into home by the skin of our teeth. That's all that matters to some of us. Our fire insurance. That's not what Jesus wants, and that is not what he demands if you call yourself a Christian. He wants the whole thing. I almost said the whole enchilada. (laughs) So what are you keeping back from him this morning? What part of you doesn't he have? And for some of us, I'm telling you, for some of us, the step he wants you to take is so small, it's almost undetectable. And you still won't take it. Some of us, he's calling the big steps. But whatever your step is this morning, whatever in your life you have refused to surrender to him and give it to him for his use, for his glory, take that step. Now, as I, I, was, I was thinking, processing through this, I'm thinking about what happens outside the walls of this building. But I'm telling you, it's challenging out there. People, let me just tell you, I get asked questions all the time, and I'm like, you know what? I don't know the answer to that one. <laughs> like, I don't know where you got that question. Like, are you studying up how to trip Christians? What? Because 
I, I feel like you're asking a lot of really weird questions. And, and what the, the freeing thing is you can say, you know what, I don't know. That's a great question. I tell you what, meet me for coffee next week and I'll get the answer for you. That's a great way to get out of having to answer a question you don't have an answer to. And also go find the answer and educate yourself and then take the truth back to them. But I'm thinking about as we leave this place and we go into a really hard, whew, brutal world and people are waiting to fight, right? They be, people are waiting for you to say that buzzword. As a matter of fact, have you ever been, I've, my wife and I have done this so many times over the years in ministry, have you ever been with your spouse or somebody and you're getting ready to go into a group and one of you say, don't mention, <laughs> you ever done that? Don't bring up, because if you do, it's downhill from there. It will never end. We're all going to be miserable, right? You've had, you've had that conversation, right? Or don't bring up that person's name, right? And I think about, like, when we're out there in the, in the world, we're going to face people that have some really strong opinions about Jesus and his word. But we don't have to have all the answers but I am convinced there are things that we can do that will help us as we engage them. And this morning, I want to talk about a few of those things that I am trying, I am trying to apply them to my life. And I, I just got to tell you, sometimes people say stupid things. I, you, my dad used to say, you can't fix dumb, Right? I can't fix it, right? People will ask you some questions you might think are really dumb questions, but if it's their question, then we ought to make it our effort to answer them. But here's the thing. And when I look at Scripture uh, and I look at my walk with the Lord, as I'm out in the world and I'm being bombarded with hard questions in buzzwords and pronouns and political views and all these differing things, I have to, my first, my first thought should be, what is my motivation for engaging this person? Is it my motivation to win an argument, to shut them down, to show them up, or is my desire to bring them closer to the truth of the gospel? You see, we can win an argument and at the same time lose someone to eternal hell. So as we engage people, we have to do so with love. The exact thing the Pharisees were missing. Our motivation is the gospel of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Not my way, my opinions, his will, and his way. And one of the things I'm also learning is when I'm engaging people outside the walls of this church, is that we have to be people that listen. If you're always talking over the person you're having this conversation with, that's not listening. That's the difference between wanting to be heard and listening. But sometimes it's just a matter of just silencing our heart and letting them talk and then giving them the truth in love. That's why James says, be slow to speak. It's so important for us to learn how to listen 
in the midst of a difficult conversation with people we don't agree with. Another thing that I've learned in ministry is we, it's, it's, it's biblically, God tells us we can be angry as long as it doesn't cause us to sin. It's a righteous anger. And but this is where it kind of goes sideways for us sometimes. Let's say you have this cause that you are passionate about. Like, like let's just use pro-life, for example. If you're passionate about pro-life, praise God, you're a part of us. We should all be passionate about life. But here's the thing. Let's say you're doing your pro-life um, rally thing on Saturday, and you're in your rally, and then people come up that don't have your views, and they begin to argue with you, and they get you all riled up, right? You start shouting back at them, right? Mistake number one. And then you go home, and you take out that frustration and anger on your spouse, you just turned righteous anger into sin against the person that was, doesn't agree with you and against your wife and children. But we should be angry without sinning. There's a difference. Sin should make us angry. What's happening in the world should make us angry, but it shouldn't make us sin. Another thing that I, I've come to, to, to think through and, and to process in my own life is that when we're communicating with people, we got to do it in love. I, I can remember living overseas and being in conversations and being surrounded by a group of Muslims discussing the Quran and the Bible and how they're the same and different. I remember those conversations. And I can tell you with 100% certainty, the person I was in direct conversation with, to my knowledge, never came to faith. They came to see me to debate the Bible and to promote the Quran and to show all their disciples how they could put down a Christian. But here's the cool thing, is that when I was engaging this person, I didn't attack them. I didn't criticize them for their beliefs. The cool thing about that is, is that that person I was in dialogue with never came to faith in my experience, but there were people in the crowd listening. And they saw the difference between the way I carried myself and the way he acted. And they want what I had. So they would come to see me in private at a later date to hear about this hope that I had in Jesus that made me a man of peace and love. You see, when we're in conversations with people and we're in a crowd of mixed people, we don't know who's in the crowd. So it's best to say whatever you have to say in love and secondly is to say it with complete honesty. Don't make up facts. Don't quote research that doesn't exist. And for crying out loud, be careful about using your own opinion because what we want to do is we want to take people back to what the Word of God says. It doesn't return void. 
It will change your life as you use it, and it may change the life of the person listening. So as we're out and about, as we're out in the community, we speak in love and we're honest. I think that's the hardest thing for me. The whole honesty thing, right? Good example. If you have children of your own, you can relate to this. If you have grandchildren, you can relate to this. If you have a spouse, I'm guessing you can relate to this. And if you ever drive to church with a friend, you can probably relate as well. So I'm saying pretty much all of you can relate to what I'm going to say. Have you ever been driving to church on a Sunday morning and there's World War III happening in your car? Been there, right? It's miserable. It's like there's a riot taking place in your car, like you're in a traffic light and the car is rocking and screaming and you're waving at the person beside you, you know. We're going out to live in truth. Come on with us. Nobody wants to go with you. Nobody wants to come with you. Right? But what do we do? We, we have World War III on the way to church over something sometimes so trivial, it's not worth even having a conversation about, much less an argument about. Matter of fact, have you ever been in a conversation and said, what are we arguing about? And the person says, I don't know. I'm like, why, why can't we stop? Right? But we get out of the car, and as we get out of the car, like something magical happens when the door opens. Right? Hey, how you doing, brother? I'm good. You? Oh, man, life's good. Life is good. God has blessed me so much. Like, what are you talking about? That's not being honest. Now, I got to tell you, as, as a pastor at this church, some of you are honest with me a lot. I pray for you a lot. But listen, you go out there, let's be honest with people. What has Jesus done in your life? And if this passage ends with the fact that it says that when they left him, they were amazed and they went away. Listen, are people amazed by your love for Jesus? Are they amazed by the way you love people that no one else loves? Are they amazed by the way you treat them respectfully even when they disagree with you? Because that should be the goal, right? As the body of Christ is to draw all men to him, not to chase them away. So I don't know who you are this morning. I don't know which of these characters are like you. But I know in preparation for this, I give thanks to the Lord that I've been drawn to the red letters of Scripture this, this month, this last month. And I encourage you to do the same, but I want you to take some time this morning and reflect on who are you out there? And are you living a life that draws people to Jesus or pushes them away? Now's your time to respond. And so I'm going to ask if you would, if you'll stand with me. Hey, we're so glad that you joined us for worship this morning. We know that God is moving in the hearts and lives of anybody that hears his word. And we want to encourage you to take the step that the Holy Spirit's prompting you to take. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
This morning, the Word of God was preached, and we know that it has the supernatural ability to go down deep inside us and change us from the inside out. We want to encourage you to take the step that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to take. If you'll download the Living Truth Church app for any, any app store, there's a Next Steps tab, and there's a list of different things that the Holy Spirit may be telling you to do, There are ways for you to respond. Maybe you've never chosen to follow Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's drawing you to Himself. Well, there's no better time to follow Jesus than right now, and you can let us know that in the app. You can by clicking follow Jesus. Uh, maybe you're a Christian and the next step you need to take is baptism or beginning to serve in the church or giving or getting plugged into a CPR group. One of those things, you know, many other things as well. Let us know in the app. We want to come alongside you. And if you'll fill that form out, we'll be able to come alongside you and help you take those steps. Um, we know that if you're a believer, you're a stepper. You are somebody who never stops. You never become stagnant. We should always be walking with Jesus and taking steps to follow him. So if you heard the word of God this morning, there's steps for you to take, and we want to encourage you to take those. Um, so if you would, join me in prayer. Um, dear Lord, I thank you for each and every person that's watching with us today. We thank you that they're here. We thank you that they've heard your word, God, and we pray that you'll speak to them, that you'll you'll draw them to yourself, God, and you'll, you'll tell them the steps that they need to take as they follow you. Um, God, we pray that you'll give them the boldness and courage to be obedient to what it is you're telling them to do. Um, God, we pray that you'll move in their lives and use them. We love you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for salvation. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, y'all have a great week.